All right, welcome aboard to the Counter Vortex once again with your ranter, Bill Weinberg. Ranting at you on the evening of August 25th from Lower Manhattan. And I get the feeling that we're all just like, uh, you know, deer in the headlights, feeling powerless and paralyzed as Trump prepares right in front of our eyes without any without even trying to hide it, without any ambiguity about it at all, to steal the election. And I'm putting forth the question tonight of, uh, what are we going to do about it? And what measures should we be taking now, while there's still a few weeks to go, to prepare for the crisis of November? Trump has already broached, actually, postponing the election, which in the current climate could mean indefinitely suspending the election. As we all know, he tweeted about that about a month ago, late July, invoking the COVID-19 pandemic as uh, his justification. The same one, by the way, the same pandemic that he has been consistently downplaying. And I said that it could come to that, didn't I? If you've been paying attention... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to, to my ranting, you'll know that I called that one before he tweeted that, you know, for weeks I've been saying that despite the fact that he's basically been a COVID denialist and has been downplaying the whole crisis, that if he felt like he could lose the election, he could actually use COVID-19 as his excuse to derail the electoral process altogether. All right, then there's been the uh, the whole attack on the U.S. Postal Service which Trump has actually admitted is aimed at trying to undermine mail-in voting. I mean, he, like, openly acknowledged this. And, uh, you know, finally, I'll, I'll give the Democrats credit for uh, calling out uh, the, you know, Trumpian postmaster, Louis DeJoy, and, and grilling him and passing legislation to, uh, you know, bring some, in some emergency funding for the Postal Service although it's probably not going to get through the Senate. And even if it does, Trump is going to veto it. And it's probably going to be too little too late. I mean, DeJoy, while he was being grilled by the representatives, actually did say that he was going to uh, postpone until after the election his planned, quote-unquote, reforms of the Postal Service, which basically means slowing everything down and gumming up the works but to me, you know, by saying that, basically what, what, what he's saying is that enough damage has already been done, all right? They've already trashed enough sorting machines and actually removed enough mailboxes around the country to, you know, have the desired effect in November to be able to at least give Trump, you know, justification for, you know, casting doubt on the election so that he can refuse to recognize the results. You probably all saw that clip from earlier in the week where Trump's press secretary, Kayleigh McEnany, refused to say whether uh, he will accept the election results if he loses when nailed down on it by a reporter at a press conference. The military affairs website, Defense One, on August 11th, ran an open letter to General Miley, the head of the uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff, by two uh, veteran military officers, stating, if the commander-in-chief attempts to ignore the election's results, you will face a choice. 
actually broaching the possibility that Trump will refuse to leave office on one pretext or another. And it could come down to a showdown that would actually involve the military from the text. The clock will strike 12.01 p.m. January 20th, 2021, and Donald Trump will be sitting in the Oval Office. The street protest will inevitably swell outside the White House and the ranks of Trump's private army, basically meaning the federal police forces, which remain loyal to him, deputized National Guard troops, and right-wing militia and paramilitary forces, will grow inside its grounds. The Speaker of the House will declare the Trump presidency at an end and direct the Secret Service and federal marshals to remove Trump from the premises. These agents will realize they are outmanned and outgunned by Trump's private army, and the moment of decision will arrive. At this moment of constitutional crisis, only two options remain. Under the first, U.S. military forces escort the former president from the White House grounds. Trump's little green men, which is uh, (laughs) taking a tip from uh, Vladimir Putin, that's what his uh, undercover operatives in Ukraine are called, so intimidating to lightly armed federal law enforcement agents, step aside and fade away, realizing they would not constitute a good morning's work for a brigade of the 82nd Airborne. Under the second, the U.S. military remains inert while the Constitution dies. The succession of government is determined by extra-legal violence between Trump's private army and street protesters. Black Lives Matter Plaza becomes Tahrir Square. Of course, a reference to the uh, Egyptian Revolution of 2011. So, this is pretty damn real, folks. This is not some marginal conspiracy theory website. This is Defense One, probably the foremost military affairs news website in the country, broaching the possibility of the military getting involved over a contested election this year. Okay, the New York Times on uh, August 17th ran a piece by Michelle Goldberg entitled, Trump Might Cheat. Activists are getting ready. Election sabotage needs to be met with the largest protests yet. Thank you, Michelle. Highlighting the work of uh, a group called the Transition Integrity Project. I quote, participants in the Transition Integrity Project played out tactics the president might try if threatened with defeat, including federalizing the National Guard to stop the counting of mail-in ballots. In each scenario, the decisions of the Department of Justice, state officials, and the candidates themselves proved pivotal. So was the willingness of masses of people to protest. Quote, this is a quote from a quote within a quote, quote from the New York Times, quoting the report of the Transition Integrity Project. A show of numbers in the streets and actions in the streets may be decisive factors in determining what the public perceives as a just and legitimate outcome, said the report. And meanwhile, as I'm ranting tonight, the Republican National Convention was underway, where Trump's delegates were chanting, quote, 12 more years, unquote. So, if you do not see that the survival of American democracy, such as it is, 
is hanging in the balance in the next few weeks, and whether there is going to be even any pretense of democracy and rule of law in this country, or if we are going over the edge into an outright dictatorship, something truly fascistic or even fascist, if you don't see that, you're just not paying attention. Other people elsewhere around the world are facing similar challenges and are rising to the occasion. Check out these headlines, amazingly similar headlines from very disparate countries all around the world, where people are filling the streets now in response by attempts by dictators or would-be dictators to illegitimately grab power and abrogate democracy. First and foremost, Belarus, where Alexander Lukashenko, who's been ruling there, I think, ever since it became an independent country with the fall of the Soviet Union, just stole the election yet again, supposedly winning 80% of the vote, which is absolutely improbable. And uh, that was like two weeks ago now. And there have been protests, huge protests, every day since then. Show no sign of slowing down. The people are just not having it. And unless he resorts to the kind of repression that is too bloody to me to even contemplate at the moment, <clears throat> it looks like he may actually have to step down. Bolivia. There's been a huge mass mobilization across Bolivia with peasants blocking the roads and, and cutting off food deliveries and fuel deliveries to the cities and basically just rising up all over the countryside in Bolivia in response to the move of interim president Janine Añez, who herself was installed in the coup d'etat that ousted Evo Morales last year, to postpone the election under pretext of the pandemic. In Hong Kong, in the atmosphere of repression, in response to uh, you know a solid year of mass protest now, finally China has passed this um, so-called national security law, instating fairly draconian measures to crack down on the protest movement there. The government has also postponed for a full year the Legislative Council elections, which were originally scheduled for next month, September. And the protest movement there is, you know, grappling with how to respond to this now that the passage of this national security law has dramatically raised the stakes for protesting and you can get serious jail time and be actually arrested by uh, mainland Chinese police agencies, not just Hong Kong's own internal police. In the African Republic of uh, Mali, President Ibrahim Boubacar Keita was just ousted in a coup d'etat after um, several weeks of ongoing protest demanding that he step down over contested elections. Hopefully, there's going to be some kind of democratic transition there, and it isn't just going to be uh, a period of military rule. And uh, finally, I'll just mention one more, not directly related to an electoral dispute, but uh, since the devastating explosion in Beirut on August 4th, there have been mass protests ongoing calling for the resignation of uh, President Bashar Aoun. Already did uh, succeed in getting his cabinet to step down, but they want him to step down as well, saying that the democratic process has been completely stultified in Lebanon for a very long time. So, okay, I could go on, but the point is that people in many countries around the world are facing dilemmas 
such as we are facing here in the United States at the moment, and they are rising to the occasion and exercising popular power in defense of basic democratic norms, at least. Okay, now, uh, you know, going back four years ago now, when Trump was first elected back in 2016, I posed this same question, and I noted that uh, just as he was being elected, there was a mass protest movement mounting in South Korea, which the following month, December 2016, actually succeeded in prompting the resignation of President Park Geun-hye, who was implicated in a massive corruption scandal. And also, that same season, the closing months of 2016, saw victories for popular power in various other countries around the world, in Poland, where the ruling Reactionary Law and Justice Party was attempting to uh, impose a law that would have um, placed harsh restrictions on freedom of the press. And it was halted after several days of angry protesters filling the streets of Warsaw and other cities across the country. And I was asking, why can't that kind of thing happen here? Why can't that kind of thing happen in the United States? And I have to say that now, with Trump preparing to steal the election, at the same time that there has been a massive protest movement across the country around questions of racial justice, I actually do feel somewhat more optimistic now than I did in 2016 that the American populace could actually get it together to rise to the occasion and fill the streets and prevent Trump from getting away with stealing the election. But we have to be having this conversation now. And again, too many of us, like I said, seem to just be like, you know, a deer in the headlights you see the car coming, but you're paralyzed and you don't know what to do to, to to respond. Well, you know, we have to snap out of it. We can't just, you know, watch them impose a dictatorship on the on the damn six o'clock news. Actually, nobody watches the six o'clock news anymore. But we can't just like watch it happening on, on the internet and not do anything about it. So we have to be having this conversation now as to how we're going to respond in November. And we should be building the organizational wherewithal now to fill the streets in November. When? I'm not even going to say if, but I'm going to say when Trump tries to steal the election. Because unless he actually wins fair and square, which is a really, really depressing prospect, that's what's going to happen. And of course, you know, I understand that a part of the reluctance here, a part of the ambivalence of the left generally, despite the fact that, you know, Biden is being demonized as a radical leftist at the convention tonight, at the Republican convention tonight, just the opposite. The Democrats have obviously, in response to that kind of rhetoric from the Republicans, responded by uh, pretty much sidelining the left wing of the party and playing to the center, playing to the center right. And I understand the dilemma because, you know, one of the completely irrational aspects of uh, the American political system is that thanks to the Electoral College, the entire fate of the country, and really that means the fate of the world, rests on uh, a few thousand white voters in a handful of swing states in Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, Indiana, and Pennsylvania. 
It's completely irrational, and it's completely out of whack, and it's got to change. And there's a case to be made, although it's completely irrelevant at this point, that the best way to appeal to that particular cross-section of the electorate is with a uh, a fiery populist like Bernie Sanders, <clears throat> as opposed to uh, a lukewarm centrist like Joe Biden. But they've decided to play it safe with the lukewarm centrist. And I understand it's really difficult to get excited about Joe Biden. I don't like him either. And I will say this, that, uh, you know, we have to make clear that we are, uh, when we get out into the streets in November, that we're doing it in defense of democracy and not in defense of Joe Biden, that we have no illusions about Joe Biden or the Democratic Party establishment. And in fact, if we can actually launch enough of an effective protest movement to save the damn republic from going over the edge into fascism and to save American democracy such as it is, rather than going to sleep after that, which isn't going to be an option anyway because the country's going to remain in very deep crisis, even if we're lucky enough to get a President Biden. On the contrary, rather than going to sleep after that, we should maintain the momentum to keep Biden on the defensive. And one of our demands, in fact, should be abolition of the Electoral College and to just have presidents elected by the popular vote. Imagine that, so that we don't get into this mess again. There is going to be plenty to challenge the Democratic Party and a Biden administration. There's going to be plenty to challenge them on. Don't get me wrong. To note just one example, because it just happened to uh, flash across my screen, Forbes magazine just reported that the, uh, the Democratic platform is embracing nuclear power. It took five decades, but the Democratic Party has finally changed its stance on nuclear energy. In its recently released party platform, the Democrats say they favor a technology-neutral approach that includes, quote, all zero-carbon technologies, including hydroelectric power, geothermal, existing and advanced nuclear, and carbon capture and storage, end quote. Well, all of that needs to be opposed. Every single one of those ideas there is bogus, but especially nuclear power. <laughs> it isn't zero-carbon. That's a lie. And even if it were, it would be merely exchanging one devil for another. I mean, it just it's absolutely maddening that the Democratic Party is talking about bringing back nuclear power. After all of the energy that activists like myself expended back in the 1970s and the 1980s to successfully defeat the nuclear industry. Are we going to have to fight that one all over again under a President Biden? Well, yes, in fact, I hope that we do. Because I'd rather be fighting nuclear power under a President Biden than fighting fascism under a President Trump. Thank you very much. And the entire progressive agenda, whether it's mere reformist proposals such as doing away with the Electoral College and having presidents elected by the popular vote, the so-called Green New Deal, about which there needs to be a lot more discussion <clears throat> and criticism, or a more actually revolutionary agenda. All of that entails assuring that Donald Trump does not get away with stealing the election and establishing dictatorship in the country. You know, folks, we saw this movie back in the 1930s and the 1940s. We really don't need a repeat. So we need to be having the conversation now. 
What are we going to do in November? What's the plan? Start organizing and start discussing it now, folks, because we don't want to be caught with our pants down. The threat is real, and it's time to rise to the occasion. Okay, this has been Bill Weinberg on the Counter Vortex. You can check us out online at countervortex.org. Join the Counter Vortex, join the resistance, and rant on you next time.